Illumine our hearts, O Master, who lovest mankind, with the pure light of thy divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our minds to the understanding of thy gospel teaching. Implant in us also the fear of thy blessed commandments, that trampling down all carnal desires, we may enter upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things as are well-pleasing unto thee. But thou art the illumination of our souls and bodies, O Christ our God, and unto thee we ascribe glory and the lasting spirit, both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Father Michael, Father Nicholas, brothers and sisters in Christ, the word of God tonight will take us to the fourth commandment found in the book of Deuteronomy in the fifth chapter. Absorb the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, not your donkey, nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Yesterday, Someone's saying that, uh, does God really care about our everyday things, about our jobs, and uh, about the little details in our life? And the answer is absolutely yes. Not only about us, but about our animals as well. That is very, very sensitive even to the animals. And we find this all throughout the Old Testament. God says, not only you will rest on the seventh day, but even your donkey, your ox, because back then there was no machinery. So the animals were overworked six days a week. So it was a commandment for the animals to also rest on that day. There are two sides to this commandment, the practical and also the theological. The practical is that after six days of work, it is very important to rest, to rest the seventh day recuperate. I believe in the in Russia, the USSR, they try to eliminate the seventh day week. They try to eliminate the weekend. 
to go against Christianity years ago. And workers would work for 10 days and then take two days off. They had severe psychological and emotional problems because God makes everything in wisdom. There's great wisdom behind the commandments of God. So in the Old Testament, God tells the Israelites, you will work six days. Six days you will work. The seventh day belongs to me. You will dedicate it to me. And don't forget, don't forget, says remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And there you worked seven days a week with beatings. You didn't have any days off. You were under the Egyptians. You were a slave. You had no freedom whatsoever. You couldn't do what you wanted to do. I freed you. I took you away from there. I gave you your time back, your freedom. And now I expect you to dedicate that seventh day to me. You will keep it holy. Holy means you will separate it. We say the holy cup. Doesn't necessarily mean the sacred, of course it is the sacred cup, the holy cup, but agil in the Greek language, it means something to be kept separate. It is separate, it, it is distinct from the other cups. This is to be used only for the body and blood of Christ. And in the same way, keep the seventh day holy. You will separate it from the other days. This day belongs to the Lord. And of course, as you know, the Pharisees misinterpreted the law, this commandment. They misinterpreted and uh, they tried to accuse some of the heaviest accusa accusations against Christ was that uh, he was not he was not keeping the commandment of the Sabbath because he was healing on the uh, on the, on the seventh day. They simply had the letter of the law and not the spirit the spirit of the law. But again. This day has to do with rest. It has to do with rest. Significantly enough, in the kingdom of God, we will not be working. There'll be no work. There'll be no bills to pay. There'll be no body to feed, no belly, none of that. All those things will cease. You will not have to diet. All those things will cease in the kingdom of God. So the seventh day is a prelude, a reminder. But let's not worry. Let's not put all the emphasis on the works of this life because this life is passing by. The form of this life is passing by. It will not matter 50 years from now, 100 years from now, 150 years ago. All these things that overburden us today 
So God wants us to slow down and rest. Because we will see this commandment taking a new light in the New Testament. So in eternal rest, all works will cease. Again, we are focusing on the interpretation of these commandments under the light of the New Testament. And we will be using the help of St. Gregory Palamas, who interpreted these Ten Commandments. And St. Gregory says, One day of the week, which is named Kiriaki, the Lord's Day, or Sunday, Sunday. Because is dedicated to the Lord, because on this day he resurrected from the dead, showing and proving and guaranteeing our own resurrection, on this day you will not do any mundane work. Now, in the Old Testament, the Jews were celebrating the Sabbath, the seventh day. In the New Testament, we have the perfect law. We have the metathesis, the metathesis of the law. We have the transferal, the transferal to the time of grace. In the Old Testament, we had animal sacrifices. The priesthood was totally transferred to the archpriest. The archpriest is Christ. And the priesthood in the New Testament emanates from Christ. And the greatest sacrifice in the New Testament is the bloodless sacrifice. So the ethical law of the Old Testament is very valid. However, the liturgical law has been transferred to the time of grace. So we, as Christians, we rest on the eighth day, and we mentioned this in the classes last year as well, on the eighth day, The first day of the week, the first day of the week, which is also the eighth day, the church fathers call it, where the eighth day all works will cease. So we celebrate the celebration of celebrations on Sunday. What is the celebration of celebrations of Christianity? The day of the resurrection. It's a double celebration. First, the celebration of the resurrection of the Lord, which once again pre-insures our own resurrection. And then the second celebration is exactly that, our own resurrection. We celebrate the fact that we will also resurrect 
someday, the day of the Lord. When the Lord comes back, we will all resurrect. During the common resurrection, as we chant during Holy Week, Tinkinin Anastasin. And on that day, on that day of the resurrection, on the day of the Lord, every earthly and mundane work will cease. It will stop. And because of that, Sunday or Kiryaki, you will dedicate to the Lord. You will dedicate it to the Lord. You will not do any mundane work, meaning you will not work professionally. You will not work for money. You will cook. You will wash your face. You will feed your family. You will do the very things that are necessary for your sustenance. But you will not open your shop. And also, according to the commandment, you will not send your children to open your shop. Not your children, not your son, not your daughter, not even your servants. Some things seem a little strange in the Old Testament. And uh, I know these are not very easy things to take, especially in the days that we live in. But do you know that in England, 40, 50 years ago, there was nothing open on Sundays? No theaters, no theaters, no shops. Everything was closed. So people would have time to spend with their families, go to church as a family, spend it at home, no TVs back then. And the English developed great family life back then. Of course, not today. And still in the South, we have the blue laws. I remember when I got in this country, uh, early 70s, we had those laws and everything was closed. But in the last 30 years, it is all gone. Again, some things may seem a little difficult for us in the Old Testament. God said in the Old Testament, you will not even walk more than two miles. He didn't want people running all over the place like today. The weekend comes and we get in the car and we run, 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 and no one is chasing. We go 500 miles and come back exhausted, exhausted. God wanted to avoid all that. He wanted us to sit back, relax, and think about life and what's important. In the same way, it's holding true for the Jews. They were not allowed to walk more than two miles, even in times of war. They could only defend themselves, but they could not keep running away from the enemy. They had to stay put. That was the law. Of course, they did not keep the law. 
and they did not keep the seventh day holy. And God also commended them, not just to rest the animals, but also to watch the wisdom of God. The same thing that our scientists are doing today, God taught these things in the Old Testament. He told them, you must rest the land on the seventh year. The seventh year, you will rest the land. You will not plant. And I will double your harvest on the sixth year. Miracles. On the sixth year, the Israelites would have double harvest, so they would save enough to be able to rest the land. To discipline that life is not all about work and doing. So you will let your servants, your workers, rest that day. So you will stay together to do what? To watch football games. No. We'll talk about that a little later. You will let him rest so all of you can glorify him who died for you. So all of you will glorify him who bought us from his death. He paid ransom by his death and resurrected. And along with his resurrection, he also resurrected our human nature. That is the purpose of the weekend rest. And by the way, do you think that Western civilization introduced the five-day work week? No, your church did. Christianity introduced it. And this from the second and third and fourth century. In this authentic book, book called The Commandments of the Apostles. Now, th these were not written by the apostles, because if they were, they would be in the Bible. The Apostolicaria Taller, they were a book written by a very, very pious disciple of the apostles. However, these teachings reflected the teachings of the apostolic era. In that book, which is several chapters, it says, you will give your servants, because back then there were servants, we said before that 90% of the people were slaves. You will allow your slaves to have the days off of Saturday and Sunday. Saturday because of the Sabbath, because of the old law. And Sunday because of the day of the resurrection. And you will take them to church so they can hear the word of God. So they can learn to become Christians. That was the purpose of this rest.
saying Gregory continues, you will also bring to mind on Sunday, what you will be doing on Sundays, you will bring to mind the future life, the life to come. In other words, you'll think about death, about dying. In orthodoxy, we always think about death. It's not, it's not the negative. Death is our enemy. Of course, it's an enemy. We fear death. However, we prepare for death. We prepare properly. We have constant memory of death. And then everything else, everything else takes its place. If we remember that someday we will die, that eliminates a lot of our everyday problems. Billy was an ancient Greek king. I forget the name right now. He had a slave go to him every day and remind him every day, remember that you are not, remember that you will not live forever. Remember that you will die someday. And this, before Christianity, there's a lot of wisdom in this. St. Gregory says that you will bring to mind the things of the future age. You'll think about heaven. And you'll contemplate. You will do theoria as the church fathers say. You will think about these things because, sure, you could be thinking about all these things during the week, but now your body is resting. You're relaxed. So this is an opportune time to really contemplate and get all these things worked out in your mind. So you will also study all the commandments of God and all his precepts and you will examine yourself and you will examine yourself to see if you want to stray somewhere during the week. In other words, every Sunday is opportune time for spiritual reorganization. We go through the entire week. And we examine ourselves to see where, which passion showed up exceedingly this week. Was it anger? How can we control that? Was it greed? Was it stubbornness? What do I need to work with? Did I lie once or twice without meaning to? That hurts God. That offends God. How can I work on that? We do spiritual reorganization. Especially on this day, you will spend a great deal of time in the temple. Especially on this day, the Greek word is sychnazis. You will be there constantly and you will, you will attend all the gatherings. Don't forget Sunday in most Orthodox countries, Sunday night, most of your theologians are speaking 
the word of God is spoken plentifully afternoon, Sunday afternoon, and of course evening, five, six, seven o'clock at night. In Athens, you may have 10, 15 theologians that are speaking, interpreting. So on this day, you will stay, the Greek word is paraminis, you will stay for quite a while, a long time in the holy gatherings, and above all, you will partake of the body and blood with sincere faith and guiltless conscience. And this way, you will start fresh. You will begin your week with a fresh start, promising to God a holier life than before. But we need to stay on this just a few minutes. You will stay in the church for a long time. Now this is 14th, 15th century. Of course, things have changed over the last four or five hundred years. The center of people's life, even a century or two centuries ago, was the church. The church. Today, unfortunately, <coughs> most of our people do not go to church. And we say this with great, with great sadness, even in Orthodox lands, only three to four percent of the baptized Orthodox Christians, at least in Greece, go to church at least every Sunday. In the United States, according to the figures of our archdiocese, only 150,000 of our Greek Orthodox, at least, out of uh, a number of three, four million, only 150,000 are members of the church. And I would suspect that even less than half of those people goes to church regularly. And because of this, some of our modern theologians believe and are beginning to teach that maybe our services are too long. Maybe we need to cut down on our divine liturgy, make it 45 minutes, adapt it. The divine liturgy is boring. It's the same thing Sunday after Sunday. We need to adapt some things. And this, unfortunately, from our educators. In the last conference in Boston, one of the PhDs from Berkeley Theological Institute, Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, California, 
was suggesting that to make our divine liturgy more interesting, we should integrate or we should add some things like uh, maybe the holy unction service. We should adapt it. And people who are sick, they should be in the soleil up front and make some changes, give them Holy Communion first, just to make things interesting. Friends, that's not where the problem is. The problem is it isn't in the Holy Scriptures. The fact is, over the last four, five, six, seven centuries, and this from the time of St. John the Chrysostom, our ears have gotten heavy. Our hearts have gotten heavy. Can you imagine us saying, you know, we had sunshine for the last three weeks. We had plenty of sunshine. Tomorrow, I want to have clouds. Do you ever say that? No. We love the sunshine. same thing our divine liturgy our faith our services it's God's sunshine it's the light of God it's the light of God if we're getting bored is because this light did not touch us yet if we're getting bored is because our hearts are heavy if we're getting bored is because the Spirit of God is still foreign to us if we're getting bored, it's because we left our people starved from the Word of God. We do not need to make any changes to our church. And this from the high educators of our seminary. I'm sorry to say, we do not need those changes. We need, we need a personal re-examination. This paralysis has taken place because we have ignored our three enemies. We have let generations go by uneducated without the true orthodox spiritual food. That's what has paralyzed our people. Without the Word of God, our people die. It's as simple as that. We mentioned this last year to the Bishop of the Church of Theatera. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. And help those few that are still alive in your church, the Lord says to the Bishop of Theatera that are not dead yet. Number one, our passions. Number one enemy, our passionate nature, our fallen human nature, our self is number one enemy. Number two, the world. And number three, the devil. What has paralyzed us are the pleasures of this world, the secular lifestyle and we will not solve anything 
by simply compromising with the world. We will not solve anything. Imagine in the Olympics saying, well, you know, uh, we have the marathon. The marathon's 26 miles and 350 yards. Okay. Now, we have 200 runners that start out in a Boston Marathon or the uh, New York Marathon. And because 50 or 100 or, or uh, 75 of them drop out halfway through the race, now the coaches are saying, well, look, uh, let's cut the distance in half. Or let's cut it down to four miles. Or let's cut it down to three miles. Never. A marathon is a marathon. The same thing. A, foot, a football game lasts three hours. Sure, some of these people get tired. Imagine the pros complaining and saying, well, we're getting hurt, so let's cut it down to 45 minutes. We don't see that argument. But we want to compromise the sunshine of our faith. And if we do, we will have deep darkness. We'll have deep darkness. But I don't believe the Lord will allow these things to happen. Again, what made the old church vibrant? Two things. Worship and the word of God. In the Acts of the Apostles, in the first and second chapter, the Christians, the Greek word is proskarterundes. They couldn't wait until the apostles would begin to teach. They couldn't wait until they would get together for the breaking of the bread. Proskarterundes. And they were teaching every day. You will find this in the Acts of the Apostles. 542, and every day in the temple and in the homes, in the temple and in the homes. So it is not Protestant if we have a gathering at a home. As long as we don't have a Protestant teacher. It is not Protestant to go in a home and talk about missions. This is scriptural. That's what we should be doing in our homes. Talk about saving souls and helping people to be saved. And every day in the temple and in the homes, they did not cease teaching and evangelizing that Jesus is the Christ. This was the main preoccupation of the apostles every day of the week. There's an apostolic canon, a canon that says a bishop that does not teach the word of God every day should be defrocked. There's a canon, canons about these things. That is the main preoccupation of the church and the priesthood, to worship and to teach the word of God. We see that when the word of God is being taught and it's genuine and not with the idiosyncrasies and the style of the world, because we have to mention about this. The sermon is not to entertain us. It is not to entertain us. We don't have to say a joke every 10 minutes to get the people's attention. These are secular 
secular forms. They don't work with the word of God. So the Christians were not bored. They were ablaze. They were aflame. There was no danger of saturation. The church becomes strong and vibrant where the word of God is plentiful. Our Christians are withering not because of our long services and our repetitious services. Water is water. We cannot change water. We need to change ourselves and we need to look back and study the church fathers and present sermons with the Spirit of God. The Word of God is light and this is our preoccupation for the day of the Lord. On Sunday, we go to worship. We worship our Lord. We take Holy Communion. And I'll take this opportunity to introduce our latest book of St. Nicodemus Publications by Archimandrite Daniel G. Ayarakis, one of the very well-known preachers and archimandrites of Greece. He's a great publisher. He has published a number of books, also a number of cassettes. He's an excellent speaker and a very, very holy person. And Father Nicholas Pallas has translated this book for us, and it'll be available here at the library. And at this point, we'll dedicate one of these books to our priests for their blessings. <clears throat> In the Old Testament, the Word of God says, and I believe these days are upon us. In Amos 8:11, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor thirst of water, but of hearing the word of the Lord. Doesn't mean that sermons will not be heard. Sermons will be heard until the end of times, but they will not be orthodox. I heard from some of the priests, and uh, there's a saying that if you want to stay a long time at a parish, these are some of the do's and don'ts just to give you an idea the kind of times that we live in. If you, these are the don'ts. Do not talk about death. That we're going to die someday and remembering of death. Do not talk about controversial issues like abortion. And do not talk about sexual immorality. you don't do these things, you'll stay there for a long time. 
If you speak like this, then have your suitcases packed. Unfortunately, if we don't speak about these things, then our sermon cannot help. We talk, we talk about the gospel, but if we don't speak about repentance and about death and dying and hell and heaven and judgment and resurrection, we lost the center of Christianity. So on Sunday, you will begin a new life, a holier life, and you will renew yourself, and you will prepare yourself to receive the gifts of the future age. You will prepare yourself for the kingdom of God. This is the purpose of our life. It's not to get degrees and uh, masters and uh, PhDs. These things are fine, but they're temporary. The purpose of our life is the salvation of our body and soul, soul and body, because the body will also resurrect. And in order to receive these future age goods, You will be careful so you will not abuse the commandments of God on the other days. In other words, let's not be Sunday Christians, St. Gregory says. We have sometimes the mentality, okay, well, today's Sunday, we go to church, you know, we rest, and then Monday comes, and forget it. Business is business. Business as usual. No. This renewal has to carry us through the entire week. So you will not abuse the earthly things on the rest of the days of the week. You will not get drunk on the rest of the days just because it might be Friday or Wednesday or Thursday or it's not Sunday. <laughs> You will not abuse your body. You will not work 16 hours a day because you are abusing your body. The body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You'll work like a human being. And thus, having God as your refuge, you will not move and this is so prophetic. Listen to the wisdom of St. Gregory. And thus, having God as your refuge during the weekend, you will not run from place to place, and you will not light up the fire of your passions. And you will not hold the heaviness of sin. So God gave us the weekend to rest. 
and glorify him. But what's happening to our weekends? Most of sins, most of crimes, most of deaths take place during these weekends, during the weekends. And I'm going to say something something daring. We said, Sunday, you do not work. And I know you may have some questions about these things. Of course, if you're a doctor, you will work on Sunday. And uh, if you are a worker at, at the PPNL factory or at a nuclear plant, you have no choice. You will work on Sunday. but you will go to church during their week. Sunday to the Lord. However, if you are not going to be going to church, if you are not going to be studying the Word of God, and if you're going to be partying at a college campus, then go to work. Go to work. At least you'll have one sin. But over a college campus weekend, you may collect a number of sins, a great number of sins. And you may endanger your health as well nowadays. Again, on Sundays, we do things that are necessary for our sustenance. But we will not lay on the couch either. It's not what the Sunday's all about, like the Pharisees used to do. They used to lay down and not move. On Sunday, we will exercise philanthropy we will visit the homeless. We will clothe the naked. We will go to a prison and give someone hope. We will go to a hospital and give someone courage. These are great works for Sunday. And God loves these works as well. But also on that day, we will study the Holy Scriptures. We will listen to the Word of God. We will take time out from all the earthly cares. We'll spend time with our children, quality time. Turn the TV off, if possible. So the Lord's Day, you will dedicate to God and you will rest with inactivity of evil. If you take refuge in God on that weekend, on the weekend, you will enjoy apraxia, or inactivity of evil. But be careful to treat the rest of the holidays as you treat 
Sunday. The rest of the feast days, the great feast days of our church, you will treat them as Sunday. The Annunciation of the Virgin Mary, the Holy Transfiguration, Holy Week in the old church, again through this valuable booklet of the Apostolic Commandments, the slaves were given 15 days off. 15. We have vacations today. The church had them years ago. 15 days off, one week, so they could be in church all Holy Week. And one week after Easter, so they would be in church again all week. 15 days. And the church had days off all through the year where the Christians simply stopped working. They went to church. Theophany, the baptism of our Lord. It's a holiday. Argia, in Greek, in Greek uh, means you do not work. You close down. The great advantage of being self-employed, if you can do that, you can close your shop and go to church. And I know it's very difficult to do because some of these restaurants we have taught or our customers have taught us that the best money-making opportunities are on the weekend. However, I know, brothers in Christ, that pray to God very fervently and they make a nice living by being in restaurants. And not only they're closed Sunday, but they're closed Monday and Tuesday. And in four days, they are blessed and they do extremely well because they put God first. So the commandment says, you shall work six days What if you don't have to work six days? Do you have to work six days? No. You can work five days. And you can work four days. However, the rest of the time you will dedicate to God. You will not, let's say, dream to become a millionaire so we can have the rest of the people working and we don't have to work. We will fall into a number of temptations that we will not be able to handle. And this is exactly why St. Gregory says that having God as your refuge, you will not move from place to place. You will not run to Atlantic City and Las Vegas and to the Poconos and all the vacation spots because you will be tempted greatly and you will not light up the light of your passions. And you will not be lifting the burden of heavy, heavy sins. So on Sunday, 
you will dedicate yourself and your family to the Lord and you will do the same on the great feast days as well Christmas Easter these are feast days great feast days that are to be dedicated to the Lord and if we don't dedicate them to the Lord then again the prophecy the prophecy of God in the Old Testament the voice of God thunders through Isaiah I hate I hate your feasts and I hate your Sabbaths we'll stop at this point and next week we'll continue with the other category of the commandments up to now the first four commandments were pertaining to our relationship with God the second category the rest of the six commandments it will pertain to our relationship with other people that's why in Greek if we transgress the first four commandments it's not called a sin it's called a sevia or impiety it's worse than a sin but if we transgress against the other six commandments then that's called a sin in the Greek language do we have any questions at this point or any comments you may bring them up and also our priests will give us some more insight someone like St. John the Chrysostom doing it. If someone like St. John the Chrysostom would be modifying the liturgy, I would be the first to obey. If someone, if in Greece, because I study over 10, 15, 20 bishops and archimandrites and our teachers come uh, from the higher echelon of Greek Orthodox spirituality and also Romanian spirituality, uh, in my 16 year of studies not one of these holy of the hundreds of church fathers that have read their, their lives not one of them have ever made the slightest comment about taking an iota out of the divine liturgy and again if we would have holy mountain and the abbots of the holy mountain and the spiritual people of our age suggest that we believe 
that the Spirit of God is pushing us to shorten some of the services. Then we would obey the church, but we will not allow Western theologians from Princeton University and Berkeley and theologians that are confused about the divinity of Christ, some of them, to tell us what to do with our church. <clears throat> Any other questions, please? Why are they hired apparently in the first place? Uh, I can't answer that question. 